Hello, and welcome to Communicating Education, the official podcast of the Long Island School Public Relations Association. I'm your host, Christina Baumgartner. It's hard to believe that one year ago, at this time, we were all grappling with this new thing that was out there on the horizon called coronavirus. Schools began to shut their doors for two-week stay-at-home orders that stretched well beyond two weeks in the end. On this episode, we talk with Chip Parker, Angela Marshall, and Monica Lester about how COVID-19 has impacted school PR professionals. So grab your coffee and pull up a spot on the couch. Actually, let's be real. Turn up your headphones and make sure you can still see the notes for the social media content you're working on as we talk to Monica, Angela, and Chip. Today on Communicating Education, we are talking with Angela Marshall, Monica Lester, and Chip Parker. So do you guys want to go around and quickly introduce yourselves to our audience? I'm Angela Marshall, the Northeast Region Vice President for the National School Public Relations Association and uh, the Public uh, Information Officer for NASA BOCES uh, on Long Island in New York. Hi. My name is Monica Lester, and I am a public information specialist at Capital Region BOCES Upstate. And I also am the communications coordinator and contest coordinator for NYSPRA, the New York School Public Relations Association. And I'm Chip Parker. I'm the public relations director for Half Hollow Hills Central School District on Long Island in New York, as well as the president of the Long Island School PR Association, as or as I like to call it. Lispra. It's Lispra, Chip. Lispra. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's sort of like <laughs> our whole debate about GIF and JIF, right, Chip? Exactly. It's a so, GIF. I think I. It is a GIF. We're, we're I, going to concur with Chip. <laughs> we're all going to have to agree to disagree on this one. So the guy who he, created it. No, 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 no. Hold on. The guy who created it said it is pronounced JIF. All right. It's sort of like toilet paper roll. When you put a toilet paper roll on the the toilet paper holder, it's supposed to go laces out. You know, the piece of toilet paper has to hang out over it. That's on the patent for toilet paper. If you do it the other way, you're doing it wrong. Agreed. Okay, but what about the peanut butter? That's Jif. Touche. That's what I said, Monica. I'm going to mail chip a whole bunch of peanut butter because he keeps calling it a Jif. So we, we like to sort of warm up a little bit uh, with just getting to know you guys a little bit better. So I'm going to toss this one out there first. What is the last thing you guys have read or a podcast that you've listened to recently? Tonight, I read a, a lovely children's book called Good Night Already. It's about Mr. Bear who lives next door to Mr. Duck. Mr. Duck is staying up. He wants to party. And Mr. Bear is just trying to go to bed. Uh, my daughter loves yelling, good night already, which is what the bear says to the duck. Um, I don't really get to listen to podcasts. I have a lot that I really want to listen to that are in my queue. And I dedicated time to listen to them when I was working out in the morning. And I've listened to no podcasts this year. So that gives you an idea of how well my workouts are going. Um, the most recent thing that I've read for myself, probably besides periodicals, which I consume every day, um, I've started multiple times rereading uh, The Metamorphosis by Hans uh, Kafka. So I've been trying to, to reread that. Um, I'm about 40 pages deep, but I think I'm going to have to start over because 
um, I, I haven't read it in a while. Well, you're too busy reading Princesses Wear Pants and Goodnight Already. I said goodnight already. <laughs> Monica, Angela, have you guys read anything recently? Listened to any good podcasts? Uh, so I think the last full book that I read would be The World According to Humphrey on account of the fact that I have some um, elementary school aged children and it is a great book if you're looking for something. I've also been listening to a podcast called The High Performance Podcast with my son who is about to turn 12. Um, it's just a lot about work ethic and um, how to make things happen in your life. And it features a lot of sports figures. So it's like a really good way to deliver messages to him. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a great podcast for him. Um, the last book I read was called uh, The Fifth Season by N.K. Jeminson. Jeminson? I don't know. I don't know how to say the last name. I don't know if N.K. is a man or a woman. I know nothing except for it was a fantasy novel, the first of a trilogy. And it had to be put in the timeout corner several times because it was a very naughty book and I couldn't take it. I had to just set it aside, then come back and then set it aside and then come back. But I finished it. Okay. Jiffinson. I think you were trying to say Jiffinson. <laughs> <laughs> this is going well. So looking back on your own school days, I know we all get to spend a lot of time in classrooms and seeing all the things that our kids are doing now. Do you guys have a favorite memory from when you were in school or a teacher who really meant a lot to you and sort of helped you along the way? Yeah, you know, I had a teacher, my journalism teacher in high school, Dan Weinstein, he really opened my eyes to um, enjoying writing instead of feeling like it was a chore. He really got me to enjoy writing, enjoying the journalistic aspect of writing. Um, and it also got me out of class a lot. I could go down to the lunchrooms and interview people and, and do all sorts of fun stuff. So, uh, and that was some of my first exposure to, to, you know, similar skills and, and duties and tasks that, that we do now in school VR. Yeah. That sounds like a really great training ground for what you're doing now. So, I have to say, like, I, I definitely had teachers in high school that I, like Mrs. McCloskey, I remember she was my English teacher and I always loved English, which I think is part of the reason that I'm in PR and communications. Um, but I think like, honestly, one of my favorite memories would be elementary school. I went to like a neighborhood school, so it wasn't, wasn't huge. And every year we would have open house. And I just remember like, the feeling of being in the gym where there would be some kind of like, I don't know, bake sale and I would get to buy baked goods and all my friends would be like running around unsupervised. Um, I mean, we were supervised, but you know, parents were talking and I guess I just remember this like feeling of community. And so that is something that like, I still think about a lot when I approach my work because I think we play a role in that, like giving the district a voice and like, you know, reflecting the community and bringing the community together. I love that, Monica. I think that's a really important point that you just made that 
that that's something that we all play a role in as school communicators in helping to build that community. Well, the, the training ground was Stephen C. Foster Elementary School. <laughs> Mount Shout Lebanon, out. PA. Shout out to Stephen C. Foster. What? what? So our topic tonight is COVID-19. Um, it has been just about a year now since we first started talking about this whole thing that was out there. Uh, we started kind of crazy, right? That is crazy. In a year, can I mean? Does anyone else crazy? No, it is. And does anyone else have the experience lately of it feels like it's been five minutes, but it also feels like it's been five years that we've been doing this? Absolutely. Definitely like nodding without our mics on. (laughs) Absolutely. So what was the first indication for you guys that something was kind of coming down the pike and that, you know, maybe there was going to be some kind of impact to our schools? Um, We do this big video every year. It's an awards video. And it means that we go to every single one of our schools and we have like 18 different programs and we go in there with a video crew. It's a videographer and me and, you know, whatever. Um, and we started bringing alcohol wipes to wipe off our lav mics in between people that we were filming, you know, and it was just like, well, how do we handle this? There's this contagious thing, you know, we'll we'll bring some alcohol wipes. We were still in the same room. We were still not sitting. We weren't socially distancing from each other. There were no masks, but we had alcohol wipes. Yeah. That's so funny that you say that because I had a similar experience looking through some old pictures. Um, just yesterday I was going through some, some photos in my phone from last year and I found some screenshots I had taken of, uh, slides at a briefing that I had gone to about COVID. And I remember just sort of having this flashback of sitting in this auditorium and none of us would shake hands with each other. That was the big thing was, oh, you have to fist bumper, let's touch elbows. And, but we were all sitting in an auditorium together, not socially distancing. There were no masks in sight at that point. And the, the date stamp on those pictures was March 4th, 2020. So to think that now, you know, a year later that now it's, nope, you're, you're standing a little too close to me and make sure we're wearing two masks. And it's just so fascinating how much everything has changed sort of almost overnight, but at the same time, you know, it seemed like it took forever for those kinds of things to start becoming part of our lives. Yeah. You know, this is a tough question. I really racking my brain trying to think of where that tipping point was mm-hmm. where it went from something else in the news cycle that was obviously serious to something that was really going to alter the way we lived daily um and, I, and i'm not sure besides 9 11 that our generation has really had anything like that that really and to some extent 9 11 didn't alter your daily life as much as this did it altered you know psyche and, and all these other things the way you traveled obviously national sentiment but this the effect of on such granular pieces of your day-to-day life um, was tremendous. So I really, I was racking my brain when you said that to try and think back what it was. And, and really a tipping point for me had to be um, as the chorus of um, 
the desire of our community members uh, and, and people across the state and the country to start closing things, mm -hmm. closing schools, closing restaurants. When it changed from this is happening, let's be safe to um, we need to to change what we're doing and, and, and go into a lockdown, which is, you know, obviously what we did for a long time. Um, that really, for me, was the tipping point. When you heard that cacophony of, of voices from your community saying, um, you know, we need to close schools. I think that for me really was, was mm -hmm. a real tipping point that it wasn't something we were gonna need to change or pivot or, or frame that, that we were gonna need to stop and, and rethink how we did everything. Yeah, I think that that was something that was sort of unusual because even 9-11, my school didn't shut down for 9-11. We stayed in school for the rest of the day. We were in school the next day. You know, in terms of that sort of routine, that didn't, that didn't have that sort of impact on, like you said, the day-to-day -day realities within our, within our buildings. Monica, did you have anything? I know you had maybe sort of even a little bit of a different experience being a little bit upstate as opposed to on Long Island, what we went through here with the timeline. Well, so it's interesting because as part of my job, I, I work on what we call portfolio projects, which mm -hmm. go out to a larger audience of school leaders. Um, and <clears throat> I just looked back, we released a document that I worked on on March 8th, and it was called Guidance for School Leaders Regarding COVID-19. Um, and it was like an internal document that was meant to talk about like operations and preparedness and communications. Um, and it was everything we knew at the time and how you should communicate. And so I was working on this like at the end of February because like we had this feeling that mm -hmm. like something was coming, but we had didn't we only knew a little bit about it, but we had this inkling of this would change things and um, we were going to have to talk to our communities about it, even though we didn't know schools would close, you know, even though we didn't know how drastically the educational model would change. And I remember going, sending my husband to Target and I was like, you're going to buy these 12 things and you're going to buy as many of them as you can you're going to end. <laughs> and he did. He was like, you're crazy. But he did. So you're the reason I couldn't get toilet paper. And right. I told him he didn't buy enough snacks. And I was right. right. I sent a picture of my <laughs> pantry and Angela was like, not enough chocolate. Go back. <laughs> so that for me, you know, I was ahead of the curve though, because I still have wipes left yes. from that initial freak out. Um, and so we couldn't pinpoint exactly what would happen, but it was just this like anxiety and uncertainty of how things we didn't, we, we couldn't have predicted what yeah. would have come, but the sense that something was off and things would change. Yeah. It's definitely been something that, you know, when you're talking about still having the wipes, it's funny because <clears throat> down here, it was so hard to find any of that stuff that now when I see that there's a box of Clorox or, or a container of Clorox wipes on the shelf, I'm like, mm, should I get a, a container? I'm not sure. I think I maybe only have two left. Should I buy one just in case? Because who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. For months, 
every time I saw an antibacterial cleaning spray like meant for a kitchen on a shelf in a grocery store, I bought a bottle. And at some point I had four bottles and I was like, this is enough. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is plenty. <laughs> That's more than I owned pre-pandemic. But it really just goes to show like how, what Chip was saying, it, it really, not only did it affect like how we go about our lives, but like how we, I don't, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a thing. It was a big moment and it, and it really affected the way we just approached things. I feel like it was a paradigm shift. I mean, everything changed, you know? And it almost seemed like dominoes where that first one was maybe a little bit slow to fall. But then once that first one fell, it just seemed to, to set off the chain reaction. And then everything happened so quickly after that. So the, the thing that was definitely different, I know, was the idea of having to shut down a school for something like a pandemic and being told by the county officials and then by the governor that this was going to be for two weeks and trying to figure out what that looked like. And then as it continued to stretch on, and I'm curious what you guys found to be the most challenging thing about having to turn and shut down schools and, and shift instruction online sort of overnight. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think you just said it really. I mean, you know, that pivot to doing remote instruction, the American education system was obviously not well prepared for that. Um, at least the K to 12, you know, in colleges, they've been doing stuff and, and many schools had learning management systems, but many of them hadn't employed them fully. And, and certainly their staffs weren't trained to use them. Um, so that I think probably was the biggest hurdle in education, um, the biggest challenge in shutting down schools or, you know, closing schools or changing an instructional model. I think as a school communicator, um, one of the most difficult things, and you alluded to it, uh, was, was staying on top of the fluid nature of the situation. It just kept changing. It felt like the goalposts kept moving. And so you would be sending a message or communicating one thing with your audience that was valid and accurate at the time you sent it, and you found yourself walking it back a week later um, and having to apologize sometimes for stuff that was not your fault. Um, and, and we were often put in the middle of, of a state or federal government decision or change. And then we were sort of, I guess, the megaphone to these small micro audiences. And it was very, very difficult. And it, and it persisted, it persisted, it persists to this day. Um, but I feel like it's stopped a little bit. I think, and I think part of it also is the audiences have, have adjusted, right? They've, 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 um, mm -hmm. they've grown with it. So they've learned, you know, in the beginning when something changed really rapidly like that, they were upset because it was coming from places of fear and pain. Now, I think they may even just be numb to it. You know, they just sort of accept it. Oh, we're, we're doing this this week. Okay. What else is new? For the audience's sake, we are all nodding along to Chip like bobblehead dolls. There's just bop, 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 because everything he's saying is spot on, you know? And he said, you know, sometimes it was five days later, you'd walk it back. I'm telling you 20 minutes later, yeah. sometimes you were walking it back. And if you released anything on a Friday, very positive, like like almost definitely the governor was going to come out at something at 3.15 or 5 p.m. that was going to change your entire 
world that you'd spent hours working yeah. on <laughs> or days working on. And then I was like, oh, well, we don't need to worry about that anymore. Thank God we did that. Yeah. I was going to say sometimes, you know, those press conferences were so um, must watch TV, I guess for the longest time. And sometimes I'd be working on a message and we'd sort of have an inkling that maybe something was coming out. Maybe we were hearing that something was going to change. And then, you know, we're, we're working on putting out one message and then we hear at the press conference that, oh, we're being extended for another two weeks or, oh, this now is changing. And so we need to communicate that to the families. You know, it was definitely um, something that was interesting to, to try to keep up with. And, you know, I think the other challenge was being able to communicate some of that critical information with families about how do you get devices? Can we still feed your kids? How can we still feed your kids? Because there are so many kids that rely on schools for that meal every day. And so things like that to all of a sudden have to shift and pivot and start telling that story about how they can do that is, was also a big challenge. I, th I think that exposed some gaps also, right? You know, you talk about some of those, um, those, those audiences, right? Uh, that are really in need and, and how they communicate or how we communicate with them. And, you know, it, prior to that, you send an email to your entire audience and you assume it's getting to everyone. But the truth is there are pockets that are not getting email that don't check email. Um, and now you're trying to communicate with them about getting devices, getting access to Wi-Fi, getting food. Some of those, you know, pockets of the community that were in the most need, how do you now get those messages to them and make sure you're getting it? You know, you saw some unique approaches down to assistant principals calling them or showing mm -hmm. up to their houses to drop stuff off. You know, you, there was really rethinking the channels that you communicate, really, really thinking about how to get to your audiences um, you know, from some of the, the, the macro stuff that we do all the time, let's get this message out to our whole audience. Now you're really thinking, how are we going to get this important, critical information to these, these groups that really need to hear this today? Yeah. Monica, what were some challenges that, that you faced in this whole process? Well, I think Angela and Chip have definitely touched on many of them, but but one that I don't, one that comes to mind would be... Um, the number of different audiences. So I often would feel like I received a piece of information and it just felt like an onslaught that I had to process and parse out to each of these different groups in a different way. So, and I had to tier it so mm -hmm. that the internal groups received the information first, but sometimes it wasn't just like an all staff message. It was teachers needed this, transportation needed this. Yeah. And once they were all in order, then I could move to the public level. So I just, I feel like it required a lot of like strategic thinking really quickly because as they both said, the information was changing so rapidly that, <laughs> you know, there wasn't any other option. Yeah. And there was this, I'm going to shift a minute. There was this other pull that was happening almost simultaneously to us getting information out about how to live in a pandemic. Um, the 
you know, the seniors were finishing up their senior year and it became obvious very soon that we weren't going back and we weren't going to have a big graduation with everybody in person and we weren't going to have the concerts and all of these things that make up the special rite of spring and the end of a school year. And we had to, you know, figure out how to pivot that for everyone, um, which was you know, you did the best you could. I think we're all in a better place to do it this year than we were last year, certainly. Yeah. But it's still, the challenge lives on this year. It's still a challenge. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I've tried to focus on a little bit this year was trying to find sort of, I call them the small victories or the things that we didn't expect would be victories. Did you guys have any of those kinds of moments this year where something was just, you know, even if it was something little, that was such a, such a good moment in, in all of this craziness? Yeah. You know, I mean, in, in not a small moment, but definitely on an, an unexpected victory um, and, and kind of self-serving was, you know, senior administrators in our districts recognizing the value of our work and our craft. I mean, you know, I, I, I've only been working in school public relations for about four or five years, and I worked in, in other industries before that. And I can say without a doubt that um, school communicators, school PR professionals are some of the most dedicated people. It is amazing um, how much they care about their work, about the students and the communities they serve. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it's tremendous. So the, it, to have your senior level administrators, your board members really see how important communication is. Because I, I mean, unfortunately, I think it, to some degree in public education, communication is thought of as an afterthought, right? You think in a private business mm -hmm. where you have to sell something, marketing and communication makes up 20 to 25% of your budget. Um, in most school districts, it makes up us, right? It's just us. whatever we are, we are the budget line item for communicating to 40, 50,000 people. Um, so to have them sort of see really the value of thinking through messaging, mm -hmm. thinking through how to deliver that messaging, how important that is, how much money we had put in the bank by shining a light on the positive things we did, our school districts did, our students did, and how that paid it forward when we needed to call out on that. You know, we are yeah. here for you to the trust that we built. That emotional capital that the PR programs build up with our communities all throughout the year during normal times. And yeah, I think that that went a long way to helping in a lot of these communities with, um, you know, that trust factor that we were doing what was best for the kids and giving us a little bit of that leeway and, and patience with us when we had to make tough decisions and, and decisions that were maybe not popular. Monica, Angela, did you guys have any unexpected victories this year throughout this whole crazy time? The first time I ever ran a staff live stream. Who knew what to expect? <laughs> and we had some technical difficulties, but there were 2,000 people listening. And we were like, oh, 2,000 people. Okay. <laughs> Hi. 
you know, so it was, you know, we, we have a staff that at, you know, at any given time could have 5,000 people, but 2,000 people is a, is a huge turnout to hear what, you know, our, our leadership has to say. It was about reopening schools and, you know, it was in, it was in June because we were bringing back our administrative um, office staff first. Mm -hmm. So, but I think the safe to say some of our educational staff were listening in and hearing what was going to happen to them, you know, like what they could look forward to because of what was happening. Um, and, and in fact, we were announcing that we were pushing back our start for 15 days. So um, the news was well received that we were, we weren't going to have them back in as quite as quickly because we were going to do some things that they had asked us to do. Um, but just, just the sheer volume of the ability that live streams and all of this Zoom and webinars and things that we had to learn on the fly and, and that the access that they gave to us, I think was tremendous. It changed everything, not everything, but everything about the way I work um, for this year and probably forever. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want to like keep everything here on a theme, but I, what I will say is that, um, of course, I agree with Angela. I changed my whole, I, I changed so many things about my day to day and especially the technology aspect. And I do feel like we as a collective profession of school PR are more valued than ever. Um, I think maybe one of the victories for me was um, finding like stories when I didn't expect to find them. Um, you know, because like just one day a group of people showed up at the high school parking lot with like signs mm -hmm. and um, banners thanking the people who were preparing the food to be delivered to the community that was in need. Um, and even like this year, we had someone come up with coaches versus COVID so that coaches who were not involved with coaching teams because their seasons were postponed or suspended could like redirect some of that energy toward like giving back to the community. Um, so there was a lot of like difficulty and frustration and learning of new platforms and <laughs> long nights. But then, you know, when I was able to focus on the positives and the the, uh, like really what the people and, and the people that make up our district were, were, were actually doing for each other. It was, it was a, I don't know if it was a victory, but it was a, it was a, I mean, it was a really beautiful thing yeah. to see people a, come together. Yep. Yeah. Um, so much of what we've talked about is how things have changed sort of in the short term. And I'm curious, has any of what we've gone through in the last year changed the way that you're going to do your job going forward in general, even in precedented times? Are there any things that you've learned over the course of this whole pandemic experience that you're going to take with you and use to change your job moving forward? 
Well, I can say it's interesting because um, a big part of this, I think for a lot of people, not everyone was working at home, working remotely. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of on a personal level opened up like a, a different world for me because I'm able to actually, I'm able to work more, but I'm able to see my family. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has been a definite shift that I hope can, I can keep, you know, I work home some, some days, but office some days, but um, it created like an unexpected balance, you know, in my life where maybe it didn't exist before. That's awesome. Yeah. I think we all sort of got thrown into that work from home situation that I don't think anybody who works in education would ever expect to find themselves in. So I think that that was a, that was definitely a quick shift that we all had to make, but I love that it helped you find some more work-life balance, Monica. That's a small victory. Chip, did you I, have any? I'm cheering. I'm cheering. <laughs> <laughs> We're cheering for you. Um, but for me, it was it was more of a, a personal thing, not so much how how I carry out the work of communications, but more the evolution of the role. Um, you know, I, I watched the the role that I served within the organization evolve and change. Um, a lot of the sort of uh, tactic level things that I had done to fill time. Um, disappeared. You couldn't be in a school walking around taking pictures. Um, your time needed to be de dedicated to thinking strategically about how to to handle things, um, to be paying attention to the news conferences that were going on every day so that you could be um, a trusted ear uh, and, and offer good guidance uh, to to your leaders. Um, so it's changed, you know, it's, it's changed the way um, cabinet and, and leadership level members of the staff look at you. They come to you with questions. How would you handle this? Absolutely. Um, what, should, what should I do with this? Yeah. You know, it's, it's very, it's very, that's, and that's more a personal thing, not, not a, a, a scope thing for, for us as a field, but mm -hmm. I think many people probably experienced that. I hope they did. They saw that they had a chance to let their, their job evolve. And I think it was a conscious decision on my part to make sure um, that that the, I took this as an opportunity um, to see, to make sure, to shine a light on how valuable you could be. We're bobbleheading again. Yes. Why does it always happen with, with Chip? <laughs> I know. What is Chip? The Chip is that insightful. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's it. Yeah, I think my answer is it goes back to what I said before about the use of you know Zoom and webinars and just being able to um, you know reach audiences in a different way um, and and you know, bringing, just even bringing colleagues together in a different way. I mean, what LISPRA did over the, um, the main course of the pandemic under Chip's leadership is, you know, we got together and I mean, maybe I should let Chip be the one who describes what we did. Um, you know, we got together and we supported each other and people shared their stories of, you know, what they were dealing with, but we also offered advice. There was just a ton of yeah. advice we learned from each other there were emails going back and forth in a way that 
never happened before. I mean, we did have, you know, like if somebody had a student suicide, anybody who dealt with that would chip in and would share things. But this was just a collective experience where we all were feeding off of each other. If you got something in and you were the first one to get it from your superintendent or um, in the BOCES case, our district superintendent, we were emailing it out and, you know, sharing what the the key pieces were mm -hmm. that you needed to pay attention to. Here's the change. Here's what you have to be looking out for. Um, here's what you, you know, you we're telling our community. I mean, people were wholesale sharing their communications that they were yeah. sending out. And then you could just modify them for your communicate for your community. And that was so critical at a time when you could spend hours on a communication and then have it wiped out by the next mm -hmm. decision. So if you weren't having to invest, like if everybody sort of took a turn, you know, not intentionally, but you know, you took a turn because you were the one who had it and, and everyone could share in it. And then someone else had it the next time. Yeah, so it was, it was, and I hope, you know, that that continues to some degree once we're done with this. You say done with this, like we're ever going to be done with this, Angela. You're very optimistic. I I'm getting my you. vaccine, my second vaccine on Thursday, okay? <laughs> Angela is very optimistic. I was going to say that I knew all of you individually prior to the pandemic, but I really feel like I got to know each of you so much better because we, I talked to you so often. Yeah. You know, I felt like I... I mean, I, I have better relationships with colleagues, you know, and that I value. Yeah. And I think that was one of the things that was so important too, about those, those zoom calls that we started doing was it wasn't just about sharing the information or just about, you know, and getting advice or asking questions. It was also just an opportunity to realize that there were other people out there that were going through the same thing. And that in some ways, our jobs are so different than a lot of the other jobs in our district. And to sometimes it's hard to explain to even the people that you work with in your district who have different roles, exactly what your job is and what the stresses of your job are. And so to have those people and to be able to, to sort of deepen those relationships with people who just get it because they're also doing it, I think was so valuable and something that I hope that we're able to continue doing as well, because I think that that's something that that has been amazing to come out of this whole really awful situation. So, and I'm also loving, is anyone else loving the opportunity to sort of jump in on these PD opportunities that other states SPRAs are doing? Because I know I'm going to Indiana's um, conference, which is something I never would have been able to do. And they have a- yeah, yeah, they have some really interesting sessions and there was an opportunity for non-members to- to sign up and attend. And I said, take my money and teach me. Wow. That's so cool. it's, so it's interesting because nice bras whole, typically we would have a two day conference in the spring, but the whole thing has been a series of online sessions that's rolling out this mm -hmm. spring. And we have had people from other States um, join us. Yeah. Which is, which is great. 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to plug the National School of Public <laughs> Relations Association's seminar, which is now for the first time ever going to be a hybrid. You could go in person or you can uh, stay home and, you know, do it from your office if you if you um, aren't able to make the trip. So that's another evolution that's happening. Yeah, there's yeah. really been a, a cornucopia of, of professional development opportunities. And, and really, if, if you if you don't take the time, find the time, carve out the time to, to take that opportunity, um, you're missing it. And, and, it's, and it's in part been sparked by, by this pandemic, by this situation. Yeah. You know, there was a need for it beforehand, but this really showed the need for all these different parts of our tool set that could be sharpened and people have shown up and, uh, and done it. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there's- you just a use the word cornucopia. <laughs> I, I used cacophony earlier too. I've, I've been going off on my, my SAT, my verbal SATs right now. Um, yeah, I think, I think Chip's absolutely right that there's always been this need for expanded PD, especially for, for school communicators. And the fact that, that this pandemic has kind of given us that opportunity to really be able to explore that avenue and provide those opportunities in a new way that maybe we wouldn't have even taken the time to figure out a year ago, um, I think is, has been so valuable. So I want to ask one more question as we wrap up, because I'm, I'm always curious. I know they say hindsight is 2020, but if you could sort of jump in the, um, in the TARDIS and go back and tell yourself in December of 2019, that this thing was coming down the road, you probably wouldn't believe yourself. You probably would say there's no way that this, that this global pandemic is going to happen. But if you could get in that TARDIS and, and tell Chip and Angela and Monica from December of 2019, here's what's coming. What would you tell yourself to do differently? Uh, so I, th I think for me, and, and, and this is even outside of the pandemic, this always proves to be a challenge for me, but it really stood out um, in the pandemic because of how fast paced and consistent and fluid, you know, the volume of work was. It, it, the fourth step in the PR process, evaluation. So I have a hard enough time evaluating my campaigns or things that I do in a normal year because of the bandwidth issues. But this was a whole different animal. Um, and there were so many points along the way where I think stopping and evaluating really could have helped the next step. And I wish that I had, I wish that I could find that could have found the time to do that or to convince the people that were surrounding me and making decisions of the importance to stop and look at what we just did, see what worked, see what didn't work because it's gonna impact the next thing that we do. Um, and then also sort of, um, canonize some of that, right? Write down all these things that you did, these steps. I mean, I'm big on processes. I mm -hmm. love establishing processes, making things turnkey. Um, and, and I feel like I missed, missed the ball on a few of those things. You know, I, I could have really gotten those processes down in an evaluation step so that the next time I encountered something similar, I wasn't scrambling, looking through my inbox, trying to find a certain set of keywords to know what did I do? What did I do? How did we get through that? Um, that I think would be the big thing that I would tell myself and I do tell myself, um, evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. 
Yeah. Angela, Monica, what would you guys go back and tell yourself? So I think, I think I would have told myself to relax and that it would actually be okay. It wouldn't be easy and there would be no way to predict what was coming, but like to just have allowed myself a little more to sit in the, like you hear that term, like just sit in the discomfort and sit in it and know, okay, I have the skills. Yeah. I can do this. Just relax because it was all consuming. And I think many of us could say like, it took a toll, like <laughs> mentally, physically, um, relationships. It's a bobblehead. Yep. <laughs> it really took a toll. Um, and not to say that we had it the hardest of people working through this pandemic, but but it was, it had its challenges. And so if I, I think if I had, you know, it, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I had known what I know now, that we would be in this place that, you know, how things would have worked out, I probably would have been able to breathe a little easier and, and relax a little bit more as I went through the day to day. Great point. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. I, I, with everything Monica says and I cannot disagree with Chip in that the evaluation is important but I did my very best every single day and I couldn't do it all so I cannot yes. fault myself for not doing the things I didn't do you know I just can't I can't yeah. work up and any kind of angst over what I didn't do I did the best I could. I did it every day. I did it late into the night. I did it on the weekends. I did it on the holidays. I just did the thing. And I think we all just did the thing. Stop making faces at me, Chip. Stop it. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm head bobbing over here. That's, you know, and I needed to hear that. Um, that that's helpful. Yeah. yeah it, it was such an emotional time. Everybody was stressed beyond belief. And some of us had the good fortune to have people in our organizations who really supported us and backed us up and encouraged us. And I 100% had that. And I, I'm, I know how lucky I was because other people didn't have that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's so crucial it made the whole difference in the pandemic for me that I had that support and I know I have it going forward too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I, I felt that too, you know, surrounded by people that, be, that believed in you. It reminded me it's sort of to what Monica was saying, where you'd, be, you'd hit something, you go, how am I going to do this? And then you'd remember, I, I, I did this last Tuesday and I can do this and I am that good, you know? Um, yeah. Excellent yeah. point. Yep. So I think that's a really great point to end on that we all just did the best we could through a situation that I don't think anyone could have ever seen coming and that I don't think any of us could have really prepared for. So thank you all for, for coming on today and talking about this. 
with me and we look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Let's do it again in a year and see where we're at. <laughs> All right. I'm going to put it on um, my calendar. <laughs> I'm going to say the most 2020 thing ever. I'll send out the zoom link. <laughs> All right, guys, have a, have a great day. Thank you. Night. This has been Communicating Education. Thank you to Angela Marshall, Monica Lester, and Chip Parker for being with us today and sharing your insight. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to check out our other episodes and become a subscriber. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For more information on the Long Island School Public Relations Association, visit our website at www. Lysbra.org or find us on Twitter at LI School PR. Until next time, keep your head up, keep sharing your stories, and keep communicating education.